This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today, I have with me Kim Sorrell. She's an entrepreneur, director of a humanitarian organization, author, and speaker. Thank you for joining me today. Roman, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for coming on. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I started my first business right out of high school. Uh, after falling in love with the man of my dreams. And uh, and then I've been in the business world forever and starting different businesses throughout the years and having the same businesses too, also throughout the years. And uh, I run a nonprofit organization. I have kids, I've got grandkids, I've got a regular life like everybody else in the world and uh, gone through some things like everybody else in the world. Awesome. And how did you get into kind of that, uh, you know, how did you become an entrepreneur? Was it always something that you've um, you've been uh, doing? Or is it something that you phased into? Uh, it was something I, I sold the most cookies when I was a brownie and Girl Scout. And I um, sold book bags when I was in second grade. I just always wanted to be in business. I don't know why. I mean, you ask kids what they want to be. And usually it's like a doctor, a fireman, a policeman, you know, whatever, I don't know, a unicorn, but I just always wanted to be in business. And what was kind of that first, uh, I guess, uh, adult entrepreneur endeavor that you had? Uh, Well, I bought an old building that had been vacant for a number of years. It was an old furniture manufacturing building, five-story building and bought it for a song. And then I leased space. And so I had um, storage tenants and some, you know, it was all just commercial industrial and then was able to buy another building and another building and another building and um, just kept going from there. But that was the beginning. Awesome. And in terms of kind of becoming a director of a humanitarian organization, how did that come about? Well, I met a man from the Dominican Republic and A couple weeks later, there was a hurricane. The the eye of the hurricane went right over Santo Domingo. And I just met this guy. And so I wanted to help any way I could. And so I got on the phone and arranged for a bunch of relief goods, uh, five um, sea tainers worth of relief goods to be shipped into the Dominican Republic. And then uh, that Christmas, my husband and I and our four kids went down to the Dominican Republic and and did Christmas there by helping, by serving people. And I loved the organization that was working there. I loved what they were doing. So I came home and joined the board and then uh, was on the board for a few years. And then the director who started the organization passed away and I stepped into the role. Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, important to um, to have some kind of philanthropic endeavor or to give back at some point. 
Um, I think when I turned 29 or 30, I, I became more of like a heart-led entrepreneur where it's something as small as just helping somebody on my career path with something in terms of um, information or a pointer or volunteering. Uh, and I think I've, I mean, I've been to Dominican Republic, but there's a difference when you go and stay in a all-inclusive resort versus how people are actually living, especially people that are potentially already impov- impoverished than when a natural disaster happens it's even more that much more important to you know provide relief and aid yeah absolutely and i agree with you i mean people should if everybody did something whatever it is and yes helping people in business helping people with whatever but just getting outside yourself and serving it's a healthy way to live i believe you know to to um help other people like there's there are so many benefits and there are a lot of people that need help so I encourage that as well. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's about leaving a legacy, or at least for you know myself, where it's something that I'm proud of, and some things you know somebody's going to remember me for. And you know, I've informally have you know volunteered. I don't serve on any boards, or you know, I'm affiliated directly with any uh, you know nonprofit or humanitarian organizations. But when it's something like you know volunteering at a food kitchen or, you know, soup kitchen or donating clothes or helping feed whoever, or just, you know, being a resource, I think I try to do that as much as possible. That's, yeah, that's really great. That's wonderful. And then authorship, how did you get into that kind of what made you want to become an author and what kind of let you take that first step? Because there's a lot of people that want to write and publish a book, but not everybody takes that step where they actually, you know, become one. Yeah, it's so true. You know, you hear a lot of people say that, right? I'm going to write a book, you know, and I think everybody has a story about their life that would make a great book, but uh, but actually doing it is a different story. So I was diagnosed with breast cancer a few years ago, and I went to the bookstore and everything was either depressing or really medical. And I thought, gosh, well, what's it going to feel like? You know, like, what am I going to go through? Are there choices to make? Are there uh, things I need to know. What do I need to know? I just had no idea. And so I started writing uh, kind of as a way to update family and friends, hey, I have surgery tomorrow, or I'm going to the doctor, or whatever. But it was so much more than that. And I uh, kept writing. I kind of just wrote when I felt like it, like when I had something to say. And uh, before I knew it, 5,000 people were reading what I was writing. And um, I continued writing it four months into my diagnosis. My husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he passed away six weeks after that. And so I was writing during that whole time and um, I wrote for about a year. And that's my first book, Cry Until You Laugh, because I think that's what you have to do. You know, it's okay to cry, but it's also okay to laugh again and enjoy life again. And And then losing my husband made me question love. I had a great marriage. I love that man so much. And we really had a, had a really good marriage and we're very happy together. And I know that I love him. I knew that I did, but there seems to be this mystery about love. You know, what is it really? And, and I wanted to make sure that I was doing it right. I was 47 years old and what I thought my future was completely changed. And losing him, you know, I thought I was going to be 95 years old on a 
porch somewhere, sipping lemonade, sitting in rockers, you know, smiling at each other or whatever 95 year old people do on the front porch. And that dream was gone. And so I had to reinvent and figure out life and figure out the meaning of love. I just wanted to know. So I decided I would dedicate a full year to figuring out the true meaning of love. And so that is my current book that's out or the, my newest book, Love Is, is the name of the book. And um, I just tell the stories. I was mostly in Haiti when I was working on it. And the things that I found out about love just changed my life and rocked my world. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry for your loss and, you know, what you had to go through with cancer. My grandmother actually passed away. This past August from um, pancreatic and uh, liver cancer, she went into the uh, hospital complaining of a uh, stomach pain. And they basically said, you have, you know, like four to six weeks to live. So I got to spend that. Uh, well, I spent every day with her for those four to six weeks, um, both in the hospital and in um, hospice. Um, you know, I, I lost my grandfather um, two years prior and they both passed when they were 88. But um, I think I handled it differently as well. I had time to kind of say my goodbyes with my grandmother and with my grandfather it was more sudden. He had a stroke and they took him off uh, life support after a few days. But it's one of those things where um, you go through the natural grieving process, but a lot of people um, see it as like the end of their life. You know what I mean? That individual is no longer there. And then they give up on, you know, their dreams. They may just stop. Um, in terms of any endeavors, their business, their personal relationships suffer. And I think to a certain extent, maybe for a few weeks, I was kind of like that, just questioning things and not really in the mood for, you know, anything that I was pursuing in terms of goals or motivations. But then I thought about it that, you know, my grandfather was proud of me and he wouldn't want me to not live up to my full potential. That wouldn't be honoring him. So then thinking about that, that, you know, those that have passed, that's what they would you know want from us for us to be happy and pursue our kind of full potential in life. Yeah, I totally agree. And you see it happen. I think that there are times that people feel like it's dishonoring somehow or disrespecting the memory of somebody they lost if they laugh or, you know, if they have fun, like they just need to stay in this place of sorrow. And I just don't think you need to stay in the place of sorrow. I think the opposite is true. I think you are honoring those that you've lost by living, by laughing, by deciding, choosing to have joy, choosing to enjoy life and be happy. I think that that's a testimony to who you lost. Because like you said, it's what they'd want, but also uh, it's probably the way they lived and would want you to live and, and do something in the world. Yeah, I agree. And kind of what got you through that? Because obviously you mentioned you were diagnosed with cancer and then battling that and then found out about your husband, which is kind of like twofold, even an extra layer of kind of, you know, grief and and pain and you know what am i going to do next how did you kind of i guess cope with that your own situation and then finding out about your husband as well yeah it was a weird time i mean it was a tough time uh i didn't really know how to act you know i and and it's sort of a little unprecedented i still to this day don't know anybody who that's happened to 
that they were going through, you know, battling cancer themselves and then finding out that their spouse had cancer and, and them passing. And so uh, sort of uncharted territory in a way, because of dealing with um, an illness like cancer, you know, you're already mentally drained kind of from, from dealing with that. And I really felt like I needed to be strong for my kids. And so I worked hard at that to be strong for my kids. But the thing that really changed things for me, the thing that really helped me was um, my husband died in March. And at the end of the year, uh, I was finally able physically to go back to work. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. If I was going to go back into the nonprofit world, if I was going to go um, back into one of my businesses, but I had people running them. And so I didn't have to do that. And I didn't know what life looked like. And so I decided that I would take a take it slow. I took a job as part-time bookkeeper of an organization that my father and I had started 10 years previously and somebody was running. And uh, so January 1st that year, I was part-time bookkeeper. And then 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. So within two weeks, I was in Haiti. So my part-time bookkeeping job went to 24-7. And then for the next several years, I, at least part of every month, I was in Haiti. And uh, it's amazing, but I really believe that there is nothing that heals grief like service. If you can, again, like we talked about earlier, just with service in general, but as a grief healer, you don't really hear about that. But when you can serve others, like I look at you, Roman, and what you've done with your life, you've been through some pretty heavy grief. And instead of staying in the grief, you've decided that you need to help other people. And I think the things that we go through, somebody else has been through it and can benefit from what we know about it. And so if you can take your pain, you can take what you've learned from that experience, from whatever it is, and use it for good, it just puts you in a whole different place. It just... Um, helps you to cope. You know, you, you're not sitting around thinking about yourself. I'm, I was in Haiti uh, after an earthquake. I mean, it was total devastation. It was, it was crazy being there and, and working there and uh, to see people and what they went through. And I lost friends and, you know, just, it was so hard, but to take, take your pain and uh, help people figure out a way to bring a positive out of the pain that you had to go through is um, amazing. What you have done is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's harnessing it. And it's like you said, I think um, I've done a lot of interviews about certain things that I didn't see anybody uh, covering or writing about or being a resource to me. So like you said, you, you know, you didn't really see when you experienced when you went through cancer and then having a loved one, especially a, spou a spouse go through it and then pass away. Uh, my wife and I experienced uh, six miscarriages in, in three years. So I didn't see from the male perspective, anybody talking about it or really dealing it. It was kind of like a, I guess maybe like a taboo subject that it wasn't really talked about. There was a lot of resources for women that led us to become foster parents and then fostering 29 kids in four years. 
and I didn't see anything as a resource for that either. So I started doing interviews, uh, you know, becoming an advocate for foster care reform and stuff like that. And people started resonating with that because like, you know, you did, if there's somebody that can benefit from it, but there's no resources or no one, you know, showing that they've experienced it also be that person. I always say, you know, if you have a story to share that nobody's sharing that can help somebody, you know, take the time, put yourself out there, be a little vulnerable. Obviously, it's tough sometimes to talk about some of the you know hard things that happen in life. But as long as you can impact one person, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, so true. And you know, I never thought about that before. But yeah, what do you do as a man? What do you do as the dad? Because and and too, like there's so many people that I'm sure would say, "Oh gosh, I'm so sorry," you know, and or or even I know how you feel, and probably never went through anything like that. But think that you know how you feel. But until you go through something, and when you do go through something, then you can really relate. And it is so important that you know you're not the only person out there going through it, that there is a light on the other end of things, that there is hope for a a future when you think that your future is gone, when you just think it's the end because you're in such a dark spot, in such a hard place, to see people that have been through it and get advice or learn from them uh, how to get through it. Any any nuggets of information is so critical and so valuable. Yeah, and like you said, uh, no one really understands the situation unless they've experienced it because like you said, a lot of people say, you know, I admire you for doing this or I'm sorry for your loss, but, you know, you can only understand to a certain extent if you haven't lived it. And if you have lived it and you've helped that person through it, or you've, you know, met someone and talked to them, there's, you know, this sense of feeling like an extra layer that you understand each other. And there's like a lot of non-spoken stuff that I think in a way helps you heal as well and connect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It puts, puts things on a different, uh, different plane. Yeah. And like you said, you, well, uh, I would encourage anyone experience something like loss to potentially try to obviously go through a grieving process, but then, you know, get back to, you know, a normal routine, potentially, like you said, go back to work because I think you go in a bad place. If one, you don't have a support system and two, you're at home technically doing nothing because those like vulnerable times that you're not doing anything, your mind starts racing. You start questioning yourself. You potentially go in kind of a dark place. So like you said, getting back into kind of uh, a swing of things in terms of a routine. And then, like you said, going back and forth to Haiti and helping, you know, with the, the natural disaster that they experienced and, and feeling that, you know, that you've actually given that reward and being kind of consumed by that, I think is, you know, in in, in, in itself healing as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I found it very healing for sure. So what's one piece of advice you could leave with the audience, either, you know, somebody who's going through what you experienced or just in general? Well, uh, I would say one of the things that I learned about love that I think is a really important thing to know. Uh, There's so many that I could tell you, but one of the things is that um, we hear that love is a two-way street or people will put a number to it, right? Like, oh, it's got to be 50-50. It's got to be 100-100, you know? Well, love doesn't have a number. Love is not an emotion like fear or excitement. You don't live in fear. You watch a scary movie and that night you hear every bump and every creak, right? But you don't live in that. 
you know, that feeling goes away. You don't live in Disney World. You know, you don't live in that. Um, but you live in love. You live in love. Love love is who you are. Love is what you show to others and who you are to other people. And so the whole idea of love being a two-way street is uh, just a fallacy. You know, if I give you money and you give me a pair of jeans, that's a transaction. And if I give you love because I want love in return, that's a transaction. And love is not a transaction. Love is a one-way street. Love is on you and on you only, 100% on you. If you give love and you're, because you're expecting something in return, you're going to be lonely. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be heartbroken because you have no control over what somebody else gives you, but you have total control over what you give to others. And if you can just love people and love them for who they are, because when you really love the right way, when you understand what love really is and you love that way, then you give yourself permission to be exactly who you're created to be. And you give others the same. You let people be exactly who they're created to be. So there's no room for judgment or condemnation, no racism, no trying to fix people. It's just love. And it's your only job. It's it's really all you have to do is love. Yeah, I agree. And obviously it's being vulnerable and putting yourself out there and not expecting anything in return. And um, that's, I mean, I, I, like I said earlier, I call myself a heartlet entrepreneur. So it's, you know, giving back, doing a lot of kind of pro bono stuff and not expecting any real accolades or anything for that. I know there's a lot of people actually on social media that their whole thing is like, let's record uh, you know, me giving this money to somebody, which is fine because it's bringing, bringing some advocacy and potentially somebody may do it also, but it's kind of like an ulterior motive, you know, you're trying to get publicity or go viral, so on and so forth. So like, you know, I agree with what you said. So it's truly putting yourself out there and not expecting anything and, and, and really being vulnerable for, for the bad or the good. Obviously that can be reciprocated or, you know, you can get hurt. So it's a very vulnerable state. Right, right. But there is something wonderful about love in that uh, a lot of times when you give it, you do get it back. But it's different than expecting it back. But love does have a way of coming coming back to you. Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you or anything else you have going on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, KimSorrell.com is my website. My last name's ridiculous because it has way too many letters, two R's, two E's, two L's, S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. So KimSorrell.com might be hard to remember, but the book is Love Is, Love Is. So uh, you Google love, love Is, hopefully you'll find me, loveis.info. You can also get to my website that way. I've got a free 14-day challenge on there. Anybody who wants to sign up for it, I will send you for free. And it's just 14 days. It's easy. Um, There's just something to think about, about love that maybe you haven't thought about before uh, for 14 days in a row, something different each day. And I will send you for free a WWLD wristband. What would love do? Because if you can answer that question that way, any question that way, you'll be doing the right thing. So, uh, I encourage you to buy Love Is. I did your homework for you. You know, I, you don't have to go to Haiti for a year and figure out love 
And it's not a rainbows and unicorns kind of a love book. It is the stories of the things that I went through to figure it out. I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I slept outside with tarantulas and snakes. I mean, some crazy stuff happened and it's all in the book. And uh, I learned so much that I know would help anybody in their life. And so, um, and I speak, so I'm, I love connecting with people. I love people, love connecting with people. So reach out and I will reach back. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.